Let's pray this morning. Let's just take a minute to worship the Lord. You know, the, the song that the angels are singing in heaven is holy, holy, holy. But, you know, they can't sing the song of the redeemed. You know, the grace of God is that God is holy. We're not, but that through the finished work of Christ, through His death, He's made us holy and righteous and acceptable in the sight of God by His blood, by His grace, and by His mercy. And that's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be a child of God. So, Father, we praise You, Lord, that You are holy, 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 that You're infinitely perfect above and beyond us, but that You would choose to know us. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your grace, Your sacrifice, the redemption that You purchased for us. And Lord, pray God that You would uh, stir our affections for You uh, today and that You would speak to us through Your Word. Lord, help us to love and worship You. But God, also just help us to walk in, uh, with discipline and with purpose and intentionality. And Lord, help us to see today that we can't just rely on our feelings, but it takes those things to grow and to be holy as you are holy, to be more and more of who you want us to be. So I pray that you would conform us to the image of Christ. Lord, that you would uh, forgive us of our sins, that you'd help me to say what you want to be said, and by your Spirit, that you would help us to receive and apply your word. God, I thank you for this time and uh, for our church, for your people. pray that you bless them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Uh, good morning and welcome. It's good to see you. If you got a Bible, uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 if you would, although it will take us a, a little bit of time to get there. I, I'm doing something today that's unusual for me, something that I really don't even like doing, and I'm, for the second week, week in a row, I'm preaching more of a topical message, uh, which means it's more about a topic than just uh, you know, walking through a particular passage of Scripture, and I don't even like doing that, but it's what I feel like I need to do. Last week, we talked about uh, a vision for the church for the year. Today, what I want to talk about is more of a vision for us personally, for our spiritual lives, and really more just kind of some steps that we could take, a, a kind of a spiritual growth plan for the year uh, for us as individuals. So, Lord willing, the plan is for us to jump back into the Gospel of Luke next week and finish up chapter 4. So, if you want to kind of read there, I, I would encourage you to, to do that. Uh, if you're new, we're really glad that you're with us today. Uh, you know, we're, we're thankful that you have joined us. And and uh, just mention this two things real quickly. So last week, uh, as we were talking about plan for the year, uh, we gave out some membership covenants. Uh, we, you know, if you're a member of True Life, you could, uh, you know, renew that. Those are still under the chair. If you need, still need to fill that out, put it in the offering box. There's also the response form from last week. If you didn't turn that in last week, or if you're, uh, you know, interested in a small group or baptism or ministry or Wednesday night class, you can uh, fill that out. Put it in the offering box uh, today. And uh, just speaking of baptism, just so you'll know, two weeks from today on the 28th, uh, we're going to be doing baptism. So if that's a step of obedience that you need to take to publicly declare your faith in Christ, I would uh, invite you to do that. Let us know. Let's talk about it. Okay. 
done with being Minister of Announcements, so now let's uh, look at God's Word. So I want to start with a, a couple of questions, or they may be kind of sets of questions. So uh, here's the first question. If we only do what we feel like doing, how's life going to go? I mean, is that a good life plan? Like if one of your kids came to me and said, Mom or Dad, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing this year. How's that going to go over? Yeah. Well, sometimes, though, isn't the kind of one of the challenges of life just choosing to do what we know that we ought to do instead of just what we feel like doing? I mean, do you always feel like going to work? Do you always feel like being nice to your spouse? <laughs> yeah. Some people in the first service said yes to. And what I said was, you're going to be good with your spouse and bad with God at the, at the moment, because I know that's not true. Um, I mean, do we always feel like eating right? We always feel like working out. I mean, do you always feel like listening when someone wants to unload their problems on you? Do you always feel like changing that diaper, mom, or getting up in the middle of the night with that kid? I mean, there's a lot of things that we know that we ought to do that maybe we don't feel like doing. And again, I think just practically, one of the things going to determine just how successful we are in life is how much we live based on our feelings and how much we do what we know that we ought to. To do Now, here, here's the reality, though. We know there's certain things we ought to do, whether we feel like it or not. I'm not sure that always carries over into our spiritual lives, though. Right? Sometimes we're like, well, I just don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like going to small group this week. I don't feel like reading my Bible this morning. I want to sleep some more. I don't feel like serving. Somebody else can do it. I don't feel like being generous. And what I would say is that's not any different in our spiritual lives than it just is in our everyday practical elements of life. Now, here's the second question, okay? So if you could, like, think ahead for a year. And, like, January 2025, if, if, if I ask you, where do you want to be spiritually a year from now, what would you say? Like, how do you want to grow? How do you want to be different? How do you want to be more like Christ? Because here's the reality. If we're, if we're a genuine Christian, we have that desire. Now, we have some competing desires with that. But if we're really saved, we have a desire to become more like Christ, to be more obe- obedient, to be more used by God. Uh, and, and so, you know, how would you like to be different in a year from now? Would you like to have more faith? Would you like to be a better spouse? Would like to be a better parent? like to sense God's presence more? like to be more generous, more fruitful? I don't know. There's a lot of things that we could say. But I'm just asking you to think for a second. How would you like to be different a year from now? Maybe some good homework would be to pray about that and write down an answer this week. But this is really what I want to get to. Whatever your answer might be, here's the question. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? What's that going to take? 
Is it just going to randomly, magically happen? Is it going to, tell you, is it going to happen because you listen to me preach every week? Let me just clue you in the answer. That's a big no. Um, it's not going to magically happen to me because I preach three times every week. How's it going to happen? So, uh, let, me, let me give you two or three quotes from James Clear. He's the author of Atomic Habits. These actually come from a podcast interview. But he asked this question. He said, can my current habits carry me to my desired future? So, this would apply to any area of life, but let's just focus on our spiritual lives, our relationship with Jesus. Can your current habits today get you to where you say you want to be next week? Because he, he says this, he says, you don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. So you can say, my goal is to be a godly person, my goal is to love Jesus more, whatever. And, and, I, and I'm not saying goals are unimportant, I mean, they can give guidance, they can give motivation, but this is just my opinion, it's not like a biblical statement or anything, my opinion, I think goals personally are way overrated. Here's why. Simple question. So back in summer of 2023, NFL teams went to training camp. And there's, is it 30 or 32 teams in the NFL? Anybody know? 32? Okay. We'll go with 32. It's 32 teams in the NFL. Well, the playoffs started yesterday. There's 14 teams in the playoffs. I think two got eliminated yesterday. So there, there's 12 teams left uh, after I guess tomorrow, if they ever get to play in Buffalo, there'll be eight teams left, you know, and in a few weeks, there'll be one team left standing. There'll be a Super Bowl champion. But here's the thing. Back when it was 100 degrees, they were in training camp. They were starting to prepare back in the summer. If you ask every one of those teams and every one of those players, what would they have said their goal is? To win the Super Bowl. But the goal is not going to make it happen. What's going to make it happen? Well, it's a combination of talent, coaching, systems, processes, those kind of things. Listen, we can have all kinds of goals, but what's the system, the habit, the plan to actually carry those out? It's part of the reason why New Year's resolutions don't usually work. You can have a goal, you can resolve to do something, but do you have the internal power and the plan to actually carry that forward. Uh, Clear says this. He says, daily habits always win. And that's true. So, I mean, the reality is, if, if, if I know your daily habits, you know my daily habits, we can probably project where we're going to be spiritually or in whatever realm of life in the next three years, six months, year, five years. And so, you know, whatever your goal is, really the issue is what are we doing day in and day out? Now, let me throw in this caveat. So we're talking about spiritual growth today, but this presupposes that you have a relationship with God. Because you can't like grow your way into a relationship with God. You can't earn your way into a relationship with God. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. What I'm talking about is knowing God, but then growing in our knowledge and relationship with Him. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But then 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, 
uh, here's what's behind this. God made us. He made us in his image. He created us for a relationship with him. We are capable of knowing God. It's part of what it means to be a human being. It's part of what separates us from the animals. But within that, as a human being with a soul made in the image of God, we can make choices. And the problem is that we're all sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it also says that our sins separate us from God, that we're at enmity against God. We've rebelled against him. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, truly God and truly man, left heaven, came to earth, lived the perfect life that we failed to live, died the death that we deserve to die in our place as our substitute, bearing our sin, uh, satisfying the wrath of God, rising from the dead. And when we repent, turn from sin and, and trust him, then we're forgiven and we know God. We have a relationship with God. Uh, the, the Bible, one of the things the Bible calls this is being born again. But when a baby's born, that's not the end, it's the beginning. And that baby has to grow and develop. It's like our grandson, Elliot, he's seven months now. He, he can do things now that he couldn't when he was first born. Sometimes it's funny, we kept him for a while Friday night, and he's got this new thing where he just likes to shake his head. I mean, it's not like he's trying to tell us no, he's not quite there yet, that's coming, but uh, I mean, he's just sitting in his walker and he's just like sitting there shaking his head. And I'm thinking, and I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not saying this to him, I love you and you're cute, but dude, this just looks kind of goofy, just, <laughs> just sitting here shaking your head, but I mean, it's like a new thing, and I guess he's figured out that he can control his head, and, and so he's made progress, but you know, he, he can't do nearly what he's going to be able to in, in, in time, and you know, when we're born again, we're fully alive, we're fully in Christ, you know, we know God, but we're not fully mature, we're not fully developed, we're not fully strong yet, and so we're to grow grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a daily process. It's like when Robin and I got married, we, didn't, we were not like, ah, that's awesome, we're married now, let's just go on with life. I mean, we're not any more married than we were 33 years and however many months ago, but we know each other a lot better, a lot more intimately. And that's what's supposed to happen in our relationship with God. Now, I think, though, this is where sometimes we struggle. Okay? I think we kind of can get into a mindset of like, okay, let's talk about disciplining ourselves spiritually. Doesn't that sound kind of unspiritual? It does to some people. To some people, discipline's a bad word. Some people's like, well, that's like restrictive. I would argue the opposite. You really want to have freedom? The only way to do it is to live with discipline. Because when we don't live with discipline, we end up in bondage to things that we say that we don't want to do. But we're like, well, aren't I just supposed to be on fire and like on the mountain and just have, you know, sense the presence of God all the time and have all these feelings for God and, and, and that kind of thing? And, and I would say that would be awesome, but I'm not sure that that's reality as sinful human beings in a fallen, broken world. 
I mean, listen, the psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's Psalm 42 and Psalm 63. He says, O God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It's awesome when we feel that way. But when we don't feel that way, does that mean we're just stuck and we can't do anything spiritually? Now, there's a prayer that I've learned from, from Preston, one of our elders. He leads, he leads Reset, which is tonight at 5, prayer and worship service. Love for you to come to that. But, you know, I've heard him pray a lot, and it's something I've started incorporating. is God, stir my or stir our affections for you. And, and I think that's a great prayer to pray. But one of the things I believe is often... Discipline is actually what produces desire. Like you may not feel like doing something until you do it. Or whether you feel like doing something or not doesn't affect the benefits of actually doing it. And, and, and here, here, let me just illustrate it. So when we get, we're about to get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And, and there's a word in there that's really, you know, the key word in the message. In, in New King James, it's translated exercise. It could be translated discipline. It could be translated train. But it, it, it's, it's the, the Greek word that we get the English word gymnasium from. You ever notice Paul liked to use athletic analogies a, a, a lot? This is one of them. So let me just use a, a gym analogy for you. Almost every week, I work out six times a week. And um, so when, like, so on a given day, before I go to the gym, I'm not usually like, woo-woo, I get to go to the gym now. This is awesome. Okay? I rarely, I never think woo-woo, but uh, I, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's not in my vocabulary. Uh, I know that shocks some of you. I just seem like a woo-woo kind of guy down there, Preston. But, uh, but uh, I mean, I, I'm normally just not like where I go to the gym. Oh, this is exciting. I get to go to the gym because, uh, you know, as I've gotten older and listened to an orthopedic trying to be smart, you know, I do low-impact stuff most all the time, you know, take it easy on my joints. So it's not like if it was like when I was younger and I was going to play basketball or racquetball, I'd be fired up about that because that's fun. So, rarely am I like, yeah, let's, let's go to the gym. Honestly, most days, other than, you know, needing to pack my gym bag the night before, before I leave for work that morning, I don't really even think about it. It's just what I do. It's just part of my life. It's just planned into my life. Unless something weird happens on a given day, it's just planned in. But there are days, though, when for whatever reason, maybe didn't get enough sleep the night before, maybe really intense, uh, stressful day, or just whatever, just feeling tired, uh, feeling, you know, just, just like, man, I don't want to go to the gym. Um, but I go to the gym. And here's my question. So whether I'm excited about going to the gym, just like ambivalent about it, it's just like whatever, this is what I do, or whether I dread going to the gym, once I go work out, do my feelings about going to the gym affect what I get out of going to the gym? <laughs> I would say no. 
because I don't let it affect what I do at the gym. In fact, I would argue that sometimes when I feel the worst, I actually get the most value from it because not every time, but a lot of times when, when I go not feeling good, by the time I get finished, I actually feel better and I'm probably a better person for Robin when I get home at that point. Here's the point that I'm making. Same thing is true spiritually. You wake up in the morning, you're on the mountain, you're like, man, I can't wait to talk to the Lord. When maybe you're not a morning person, you're like, this is just what I do, you don't think about it a lot. Or maybe you're struggling, you're having a bad day, 10 things go wrong, you're like, I don't want to have my quiet time this morning. My point is, you actually spend time with God, the feelings going into it are not going to change the benefit that you get out of it. And it's definitely not going to change the fact that you are honoring the Lord by doing that. And I would say sometimes you're actually, when you don't feel like it, going to get more benefit out of it because I think it glorifies God more when we do something that's hard for us, number one. And number two, it may change your mood. You may be much more pleasant for the people that you've been around that day because it's hard to be in the presence of God and be mad at the world. It's hard to be in the presence of God and maybe not have a little joy uh, in you. So the point is, don't live by our feelings. Don't function spiritually just by our feelings. And here's what Paul tells us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things... You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables. In other words, reject lies and untruths and spiritual myths. And exercise, there's that word, train, discipline yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and, and, and of that which is to come. And, and I don't think he's criticizing bodily exercise because I don't think he would have used as an analogy if he was against it. He's just saying, comparatively speaking, spiritual exercise is more value because it's of eternal uh, value. And so if you look at that phrase, exercise yourself toward godliness, some other translations or paraphrases translated uh, or paraphrase it this way keep yourself in training for a godly life exercise daily in god no spiritual flabbiness please that's the message train yourself for godliness spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit so, again, if you work out physically, you probably have some kind of plan for what you're going to do. You have some kind of plan for spiritual training and exercise. This is the big idea that I want us to get from this passage and, and really from this message. We will not grow spiritually without training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We will not grow spiritually without training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. In other words, if you say, this is where I want to be a year from now, you're not going to feel your way to that. You're going to train your way 
to that. Here's another way to say it, okay? Maybe if you want to boil this whole thing down into a, a, a sentence, uh, I heard Craig Rochelle say this toward the end of the week after the message is already completed, and I'm like, this is the message in a nutshell. Maybe you can remember this. One simple sentence. You never accidentally become close to Jesus. You never accidentally become close to Jesus. That's the point. Or if I could maybe spin it and say it in a more positive kind of way, we only intentionally become close to Jesus. Not accidentally, intentionally. Are we intentionally pursuing Him? We only intentionally become close to Jesus. Now, the question is, how are we going to do that? And so, I just want to spend a few minutes talking to you about some basic spiritual disciplines. And, and maybe this is, this is maybe more for people who are, who are newer Christians. But, but if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're like, you know, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, going to church and uh, small group, those kind of, you know, I'm being intentional about this. Let, let me give you a, a way to think about this that's maybe a little bit more advanced. So here, this would be my question. Like, what ways... I mean, maybe, like again, you're past the basics. You're past the milk. You're into the meat. What ways, though, does God want to grow you and change you this year? And what would it take for you to do that? So, again, if you've been a Christian for a while. You know, you're seeking God. You're trying to grow. I'd encourage you to write that question down and maybe pray about it this week. What ways does God want to grow and change you this year? And what will it take for that to happen? I mean, two things for me this year. I want to grow in faith. I want to believe God for bigger things. And I want to become more consistent in sharing the gospel. That's two things for me. Is there something for you that, that, that God would, you know, some steps he would have you to take? Now, again, some of the basics. And really, anything that works for you to help you connect with Jesus can be a spiritual discipline. Okay, like, for example, some people journal. That works for you. That's awesome. I'm terrible at that. It's been a very inconsistent kind of thing. And usually uh, the only times I've ever journaled consistent, well, I don't even say that. When I've journaled, it's usually when I'm struggling with something or uh, when something's hard in life. So if you read my journals, they'd be completely out of balance. Like, I would look way worse than I really am which I'm not saying I always look great, but I'm just saying that would be out of balance for me. It's just never worked that well for me. It's a good thing. If it works for you, though, do it. Something for me, music, like Christian music. That, you know, that, that helps me, helps me in my mind. So you can find a lot of things, but here's just three or four basic kind of non-negotiable biblical disciplines. One is prayer. You say, what is prayer? Well, it's having a conversation with God. That's just basically what it is. You can pray anytime. I mean, you can pray anytime. It's, it's just like think about your spouse. You know, you may be uh, calling your spouse uh, during the day. You may be texting even when you're at work. If you've got a second or this is going on, or it may just be communicating details about after. You, you know, you, you may have an ongoing conversation. That's part of a relationship. But you probably need to have some intentional times, right, to make sure that you connect. And, and what I would say is, you know, again, we can talk to God anytime. You know, you could be at work and be like, God, help me with this. Or, you know, you, maybe we said something we shouldn't. God, forgive me uh, for that. Or something comes up, Lord, meet this need. God, give me wisdom. 
um, you know, you're, you're driving and somebody's driving crazy and they almost hit you and they didn't. You're like, God, thank you that, that, that this person didn't hit me. And God, give me the grace not to now go kill this person who's, who's driving this way. I mean, you, you can talk to him anytime. But what I would say is we're more likely to have an ongoing conversation with him through the day if we have a conversation with him at the beginning of the day. So maybe a spiritual discipline would be just to start our day in prayer. Doesn't have to be anything long. Could be. But, you know, Jesus gave us a model for how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, he says, In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven. That's who we're talking to. He's our Heavenly Father. The fact that he's our Father means he cares about us. The fact that he's our Heavenly Father means he has the power to actually answer our prayers. Hallowed be your name. So prayer is worshiping him and praising him. It says, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is surrendering ourselves to God, lining ourselves up under his will, positioning ourselves for him to work through us to make a difference in the world. Prayer is asking for God to meet our needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus said a few verses before this, he already knows what we need before we ask him. Prayer is confessing our sins. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Prayers, asking for the strength to overcome, to avoid uh, temptation and sin. And then it ends again with worship. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, can you build a strong marriage without regular communication with your spouse? No. Can you build a strong relationship with God without regular communication with Him? And the answer is no. You know, good communication is always two-way. So we talk to God in prayer, but then God speaks to us through His Word by the Holy Spirit. And so prayer and Bible study are just like joined hand-in-hand when it comes to our spiritual growth and development. It takes both. So are we spending time in God's Word? Bible study. You know, Jesus said, Matthew 4.4, Quoting the Old Testament, man will not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, a lot of times what I've seen as a pastor over the years is people who you know, say, I want to grow as a Christian, I want to be a stronger Christian, but then they're like, it just doesn't seem to work for me. Not always, but a lot of the times, the problem is they don't have enough truth to grow. The Holy Spirit works in us through the truth of the Word of God. He renews our minds. Apart from truth, we're going to believe lies. We're going to think wrong. If we think wrong, we live wrong. Listen, when I, when I started getting serious about being a Christian as a teenager, I started with reading one chapter in the Bible a day. I encourage you to do that or download a version reading plan or start reading a chapter in Psalms. Read a chapter in the Gospel of John. Read a chapter in the book of Proverbs. Just ask God to speak to you. Start small. As James Clear says, a habit has to be established before it can be improved. So if you need to start with a minute of prayer and a minute of Bible reading, awesome. Just start somewhere and then build on that. If you start connecting with God, you'll want more. That's the thing. But it's, it's consistency. It's what we do day in and, and, and day out. Listen, you can read the Bible. 
You can listen to somebody read it. You know, there's all kinds of online programs. You can do it in your car. Uh, I mean, you can listen to preaching of God's Word. You can study it. You can meditate on it. There's a lot, but just, you know, start by reading it. And, and, and again, the key is consistency. You might be like, well, I come to church and listen to you preach. Well, great. Thank you. But are you only going to eat one meal a week physically? How healthy are you going to be then? We've got to eat uh, daily to grow physically. We've got to eat God's Word daily to grow spiritually. To be a self-feeding Christian, not relying on what other people tell you that the Bible's saying, but to dig into it, study it for yourself under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then I think what comes out of prayer and Bible study, what connects with it, is worship. Jesus said the Father is seeking people to worship Him, and those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. So, so worship, I mean, a lot of times we think of worship as singing, and, and it can be, but worship is telling God, thank you. Worship is praising God uh, for who He is. Worship is how we live our lives. Any act of obedience done with the motive of glorifying God is, in some sense, an act uh, of worship. So it's how we live our lives, but it's our lips. And so as we pray, as we study God's Word, it's praising Him, it's thanking Him, it's recognizing and honoring uh, His his greatness. And, And God created us to be worshipers. He saved us to be worshipers. Anytime we worship... We're just practicing for heaven because that's what we're going to do forever and ever. We're going to worship our great God who is, the, is worthy of all worship and honor and glory. And then the other one I would mention, talked about it last week, is church attendance, small group participation in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves uh, together. God designed us to grow in community. We need other believers to encourage us, to teach us, to give us wisdom, to hold us uh, uh, accountable. People say, well, I don't need to go to church uh, to know God or grow spiritually. Um, I mean, maybe in some sense that's true, but it's it's a half-truth, which makes it a whole lie. Because the New Testament is very clear that the Christian life is to be lived in the context of the church, period, End of story. We need each other. And, and what I've found, there are exceptions to this, but what I've found is usually going to church is like the lowest common denominator of the Christian life. And if, if you can do that, I'm not talking about people that, you know, their, their health won't permit them. I'm saying people who are willingly choosing not to do that. Uh, it, it's, they're not growing spiritually. They're headed in the wrong direction. I mean, almost always, what I've seen as a pastor, when people came to church regularly for a while and then they stop, something's wrong in their lives. There's sin there. There's, I mean, again, unless there's like some, you know, tangible, obvious reason, you know, like sickness or whether just work schedule absolutely prevents it. So I'm saying make a commitment. Just make it a discipline. Let us help you get plugged into a small group. Make it a, 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 a commitment, a discipline that whether you feel like it or not, that you're, on a given day you're going to come to church. You need to be there to honor and worship God. And again, it's like anything else. Sometimes when you feel it the least, it's when you need it the most, and you'll get the most out of it that way. So just those are some disciplines. But then let's be honest. When somebody says you ought to do something, and somebody says, you know, spend some time on this, Whether we know this term or not, what we intuitively do is we do a cost-benefit analysis. Is this true? Like, if I put this into it, 
what am I going to get out of it? If I put this into it, what am I going to get out of it? So if, if we're not going to put time into our spiritual lives, spending time with God, disciplining ourselves, training ourselves to grow in godliness, what might we get out of it? Well, you know, it should be enough just to honor and obey God, but you know, we, we think about ourselves personally. I'm just going to mention four things that the Scripture makes very clear that come from us spending time with God. I can name others, but I just want to mention four. One is peace. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. You spend time with God, God will minister peace to us. And number two, a proper perspective on difficult times. In the 73rd Psalm, Asaph was being very honest. I mean, it's almost like a confession. He, he's saying that he almost lost his faith because it looked like to him that the wicked were getting ahead and the righteous were suffering. And in that context, in verse 16, he wrote this. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. In other words, what he's saying, I'm struggling, about to, I'm about to lose my faith, but then when I came into the presence of God, I saw it. That this is just temporary. It may look like the wicked are getting ahead and the righteous are suffering, but someday that's going to get uh, reversed. God is going to deal with them at, at the end. He's going to vindicate uh, the righteous, but this happened when he came into the presence of God. The production of spiritual fruit. Live a fruitful life. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You feel like your life's not fruitful enough? The root of that is not going and trying, and the root of fixing is not trying to go and do more. The root of that is being more connected to Jesus. And the last one I've already referred to, and that is life transformation but through changing our thinking by knowing the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into this world's mold. But be transformed. Experience a metamorphosis through the renewing of our minds. And that's what happens when we're in God's Word. That's what happens when we're in God's presence. God changes us from the inside out as we spend time with Him, as we connect with Him, as we're filled with the, the Holy Spirit. And again, it, it's awesome when we're hungering and thirsting for that. But I think the key is, because that's going to come and go, the key is to discipline ourselves, to train ourselves, to order our lives and build habits into our lives that will facilitate us doing this day in and day out. That's how we're going to get to where God wants us to be. See, the key to being successful is doing the things that nobody else does to get the results that everybody else wants. And so, let me just close with, uh, with this illustration, okay? So, I mean, one of the best-known one of the most popular people in the world at this point, Times Person of the Year, is Taylor Swift. Right? And this is even before she started dating Travis Kelsey for you football fans. But uh, full disclosure, this may be shocking to you, but I'm not a Swifty. That may, may surprise you. you surprised by that, Preston? Yeah, I figured you were. Uh, I'm not a Swifty. In that, I mean, I don't know a ton of her music. Like, I'm not like a big fan uh, of her music. It's kind of not my cup of tea, I guess. But 
I have a lot of respect for her, for her talent and for her work ethic. I mean, and, and just like her level of popularity in the digital streaming age, the amount of her sales relative to what everybody else is actually selling is insane. Uh, you know, the highest grossing concert tour uh, of all time, over a billion dollars. And uh, so she's clearly talented, but she really obviously works very hard as well. So uh, now my wife Robin and my kids are fans of her music, and they went and, and watched, you know, the concert film. And, and so this is the crazy thing about her concert tour, but I, I mean, I think it's awesome. I mean, have all kinds of respect for it because one of my pet peeves is when you go to a concert, and concerts are generally expensive, unless you're going to something like Winter Jam, and, and I'm not complaining about spending the money because I know it costs a lot to keep a tour on the road, but one of my pet peeves is when you go to a concert, you paid a lot of money, and the headliner doesn't do a long show. I think a headliner at a concert, if I could run the world, you go to a concert, the headliner ought to have to do at least two hours on stage. <laughs> this would be one of my rules for the world. Anybody on board with me? Okay. Uh, but um, the Taylor Swift tour, she's doing night in and night out, 45 songs, three hours and 20 minutes. And, uh, and, and this, I mean, I watched a documentary about it with Robin one time. I mean, this isn't like, you know, Bruce Springsteen's been doing three and four hour shows forever, but he's not dancing and doing choreography and those kind of things. She's doing that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, Robin, my kids like, you know, this is incredible, all this kind of thing, which just led me, this is how I think, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but, you know, the last few months, like, figuring out, you know, how to prepare physically to preach three times on Sunday and this kind of thing. So I'm like, how does she do this physically? What, what did she do to prepare to be able to do this? And I, so I stumbled across an article, and it explained the process that she went through to get ready to be able to do three hours and 20 minutes of singing and dancing and, you know, everything that goes into one of these shows. So six months before the tour started, she started getting on a treadmill and singing the entire show on a treadmill. And she said when it was a fast song, she would turn it up to where she was running. When it was a slow song, she would turn it down to where she was walking or jogging. And then in the article, they interviewed a guy who's a marathoner who said that he tried this and said, and you know, after a few minutes, he was out of breath because of how hard it is to sing and run at the same time. I can't even imagine so she did that for six months. They brought in a trainer, and she did strength training. They brought in a, like a dance coordinator, whatever you call it, and did dance training for three months. So how can she, night after night, and Robin's like, you know, she never appeared to be out of breath once. How can she do three hours and 20 minutes? It's because she did that for six months before she ever got on a public stage on the tour. And I just say th two things to us. As Christians, if we want to, quote, succeed as Christians in public, it's always going to be about the discipline that we've practiced in private, day in and day out before that. Every area of life works that way. And the other thing I would say, if she's willing to do that for her fans, which I completely commend her for, I mean, I think that's awesome because I'm sure she can lop an hour and a half off of that and her fans still love it. I mean, you know, a lot of that's just like a gift. 
But if she's willing to do that for her fans, she's willing to put that much effort and training into that. Those of us who say the most important person in the world is Jesus Christ, and he's the most important thing in our life, and the greatest thing that ever happened is his death, burial, and resurrection, couldn't we discipline ourselves to do even a fraction of that to get to know him better? So, do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? Or do you need to receive him as your Savior? Do you need to take the first step of obedience and get baptized? Do you need to begin to discipline yourself, to, to make a commitment and, and, and make a plan to, to begin to you know, start your day talking to the Lord in his word, set aside the time for that? If you're already doing that, like what's a step that God wants you to take to get to where he wants you to go next year? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. and.